I had this class, a wonderful class this semester, Women in the Media, and one of the assignments with the students was to create interviews with a, a person of their choice and actually a subject of their choice, but keeping in line with what we're talking today about, you know, our our bodies and our connection and awareness to to sexuality and people around us, I wanted to share a couple uh, of really well done interviews from the class. The first one I want to share, actually, she talks about the representation in, in media, because we're talking about the media in this class. And this student, her name is Danielle, and she interviews or actually has a really nice, intimate conversation with her sister, which is very delightful. And I wanted to share this one with you now. And to celebrate, again, women's voices and to celebrate their thoughts on things around us. So here's Danielle. Okay, so, hi. Uh, I'm sitting here with my little sister, Sadie. Hello, I'm Sadie. She's 19 years old. I am 24, about to turn 25 in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, we're sitting here and talking about just different things in the media and how does she see media differently than how I might see it. Um, just a small difference in ages could probably have a different view and or maybe not. So that's kind of what we're here talking about and trying to understand. Let's get into it. Okay, so Sadie, please tell me about where you lived, um, how you grew up. When people ask me where I grew up, I usually don't know what to say because I was born in Houston, left when I was six, to Kentucky, back to Houston. Yep. And then we went to Tennessee. Then we went to Hawaii, and I went to New York. So I think I've just gotten to grow up in a bunch of different places around bunch of different people. What differences did you see in people, like in the different places you lived? So in Texas, there was a mix of people. I think I got to have a lot of different friends of a bunch of different races and like Mexican friends, I had Asian friends, I had like black friends. And then in Tennessee, it was like, I was like the only Mexican, you know, mm -hmm. kind of weird. Yeah. And then in Hawaii, that was just like so different, like so comforting. Mm -hmm. Just all brown people, especially because like I kind of look like mm -hmm. the typical just like person there, mm -hmm. and so I think that was just like it was easy to fit in mm -hmm. in Hawaii. And then going to New York, it was again just a bunch of white people, but in the country. Whereas like in Tennessee, we were in like kind of a city. Right. So, so like you weren't living in, and just so for anybody listening. Not in New York City, but upstate New York. Like yeah. Just like Watertown, mm -hmm. New York. 15-minute drive from the Canadian border. Negative mm -hmm. um, 20 degrees, <laughs> winters. So, like, how did that feel for you going from the majority back into major minority? I don't want to say I was shocked at how white people were, but... <laughs> no, I guess you could say it. You could say it. <laughs> Uh, I was just not used to seeing pale skin. <laughs> yeah, like pale skin, just like people who haven't been out in the sun mm -hmm. as much. Because mm -hmm. in New York, you only get like two months of sun and the rest is just gray skies. Mm -hmm. And like most people there are blonde, which is really strange. Yeah. And like if you're not blonde, then usually you dye your hair blonde. So it's just weird having like brown hair and kind of standing out. Really? Especially here, like... If you go to college here, like most like of the here girls, in here in Texas, yeah, um, girls have like blonde hair, 
and like light skin, you know, they're in like sororities. Mm. Why, why do you think people are dyeing their hair blonde? Because like, I don't know, I imagine that their hair is not like dark like yours because we mm -hmm. have pretty dark hair. Yeah. Was it like, like dark like yours? Or, yeah. Yeah, usually it's like dirty blonde or like that just like in between. Mm. But they would just want it to be like, like light blonde. as possible. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And I think it's just like blondes have more fun or they're like prettier. Just like a look they're going for. Yeah. Because I, I, down here, you can definitely see that a lot of people have highlights and a lot of people have blonde hair and... A lot of pampering. A lot of pampering, yes. Oh my gosh. I think that's probably one of the main things that I've noticed, like living in Hawaii and then coming here. Yes. Is that like everyone takes like self-care or not, I don't even know. Yeah, self-pampering. Yeah. So seriously, especially the women. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I haven't gotten my toes or nails done professionally in like months yeah and um, I used to not to yeah but now I do like every yeah. month I know you like your nails but like do you feel like you kind of have to do it otherwise you're like looked at funny or no I like having my nails done but like sometimes when they start to look like grown out mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. and I like have to hang out with people I'm just like oh my god mm -hmm. like they're gonna think something about my nails you know oh. just it's like kind of uncomfortable to like show your hands mm-hmm because then you're just like, I swear, like, I can get them done. Mm -hmm. I just have it. So what do you think that they're thinking then? Nothing like, oh, like, she's poor or something. But, like, I just Broke like ass. whenever, I like whenever people look at my nails and are just like, wow, your nails are so pretty. Mm -hmm. Or your nails are so long. Mm -hmm. And, like, oh, they're natural. Because, mm -hmm. like, most girls here, they're not natural. Not natural. Yeah. Yeah, but mine are. And yeah. I take pride in that. So. Mm -hmm. And, like, every, usually think everything, like, about me is natural. But your hair is not dyed, like, mm -mm. those are your lashes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> those are your nails. Yeah, but I think, like, being in New York, it's just more, or, like, Hawaii, mm -hmm. just more, like, laid back. People don't hold you to a standard. But here, you know, people just look at you mm -hmm. and judge you. Yeah, yeah. I think it's because everyone here, everyone here is pretty. Like, but that's just because they yeah, try. They, like, have to yeah. and do I, all I these mean, things. Everyone in Hawaii, I think, is pretty, like, yeah. you know, and not to say, like, people don't That's try true. in Hawaii, but, like, I don't it's know. It's just, like, yeah. two different kinds. It, like, yeah. Hawaii is, like, naturally beautiful yeah. here. It's kind of like a doll. You got to be a doll. Like, how do you think it is for men here? You know, usually if you just play football <laughs> and join a frat, you're valid. Yeah. Like, <sighs> everybody loves you. God. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Like, it does not matter what you look like at all if you're a guy. I've seen some crusty toes yeah. on these men. <laughs> it's, it's such a huge difference of how much, you know, girls and women feel like they got to take care of themselves here. You know, then you look back in Hawaii and it's like, it's the same thing. Like, girls still have to take care, not yeah. have to, but they feel like they have to take care of themselves a little bit more mm -hmm. than the men. But at least it was like, like for me, I feel like it was more equal. Yeah. Um, you know, like the guys get their hair cut, they get their eyebrows done, and then, you know, they make sure they wear whatever. But, and then the girls, same thing, like make sure their hair is good, eyebrows, nails. Yeah, and pretty then, much it. That's pretty much it, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, but here it's like, the guys just have to make sure they got a haircut or like a semi-decent haircut mm -hmm. and some Nike, you know, shoes and then like... Yeah, just a baggy shirt. Baggy shirt, shorts, shorts whatever. Ten push-ups. Yeah. And that shit ain't cheap getting your nails done. No. No. 
and your hair done, yeah. and your eyebrows done, and your lashes done. Gosh, makeup. Makeup. New clothes. Oh my god, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's jump into like, how do you use social media as a 19 year old born in 2002? I use Instagram like daily just to look at things. Like I follow like sports, just like Hawaii stuff, you know, like mm -hmm. surfing. But I feel like people that I'm friends with, they follow like a bunch of influencers, which like I don't do. Mm -hmm. I don't use TikTok that much. Yeah. Like I try to stay off of it because yeah. it's a it's addicting. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have Twitter because I don't know how to use it. <laughs> and I go on YouTube. Like a lot. Like I just watch videos all the time, no matter what I'm doing. So like everyone I think kind of knows that like social media is curated. Like it's thought through. Strategic. Strategic planning goes into Instagram posts. Yes. There's a lot of people who know that and accept it, but they still are totally influenced by what they see on social yeah, media. Like and feeding into it. Yeah, feeding into it. Even though like they know in their mind that's like, I know this is fake. Mm -hmm. How does the body images you see on social media, how has that affected you? You know, there's like two types that I feel like you really see, and it's like the really skinny, mm -hmm. lean, mm -hmm. like, I don't know, just like toned yeah. person. Yeah. Or you see like like the curvy, perfect hourglass with like big boobs, yeah. big butt, mm -hmm. no hip dips whatsoever oh, my god like and that's just like that's the only thing that like drives me crazy i'm like how do they not have hip dips uh or like <laughs> that's filler <laughs> yeah like i don't understand or just like unnatural bodies like like they're super skinny but then they have fat just like in places in the right places yeah and it's like how mm -hmm. skinny arms yeah right mm -hmm. like tell myself you know like obviously most of these are edited mm -hmm. or oh, yes Mm -hmm. They, like, paid to have that, like, done for them. I think it's discouraging if you think you're, like, working as hard as they are or, like, following their workouts, you know, that they're, like, selling you. Because mm -hmm. they're like, if you want to look like me, like, follow my workout plan and my meal plan. Mm -hmm. Like, pay hundreds of dollars. Mm -hmm. That can, like, destroy your self-esteem. If you see no progress yeah. in yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, we've run out of time. Oh, thank you, Sadie, for talking with me about all these things. And, like, there's so much more, I think, that we can talk about. Keep questioning things that you're seeing. And, like, keep questioning, like, who is this made for? And, like, mm -hmm. what, it, what is this supposed to make me do? Yeah. Because everything that's made is made for a reason. Yeah, with intention. With intention. So it's, like, what was the intention behind this thing that I'm seeing? That I'm consuming. Yes, you're consuming on a daily basis, mm -hmm. too. Right. Okay, thank you, Sadie, for joining me. Thank and, you uh, for interviewing me. Yeah, <laughs> toodaloo. Bye. All right, so thanks for joining me today. Um, this is my mom, or I'm interviewing my mom, Michelle Mateo. Um, today we're just going to be talking about Asian and Pacific Islander representation in film. So I guess I kind of just wanted to start off... Um, Representation in general, do you feel that it's better to have any type of representation when we're talking about minority groups, or do you find that there needs to be more of quality representation? Um. 
Well, I think there should always be quality representation, but that's always going to be dependent upon the makers of the film, right? You know, who they've secured to be their actors, what kind of background research has gone into it um, to see, you know, in order how to keep close to representing what that culture is. So in your experience, would you say that you've witnessed any representation that wasn't really meaningful or have you found any that was actually pretty good in relation to like Pacific Islander? Um, Okay, I have to say, I don't think I found anything that's really bad. Um, I think everyone tries to do a good job. So I'm going to give an example. Um, Finding Ohana on Netflix. And that one's kind of close to my heart a little bit because the actress Kea is, you know, the granddaughter of my classmate. So I watched the film three times, I have to say that. Um, Now, I think they did a good job on that. What gets me is when the actors are speaking pidgin, sometimes they feel like they are so heavily into the accent. It just seems like... It's that's not it's not accurate. The way, exactly. That's yes. not the way we yes. we speak it. Because like for example, you and I speak it, but right. where our accent is not that heavily that not that thick rather. Yes. Sometimes it seems like they overdo it and um it's almost like it's not completely accurate when they try to overdo it. It's like they're trying too hard in, in some ways. So yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, and so, I mean, so I want to talk about that because I feel like, you know, as a Pacific Islander, you know, of course I try to toggle between both worlds, right? I want to be professional myself and yet with my own family or just even friends where it feels comfortable to slip into speaking pidgin um, or Hawaiian Creole, whatever you want to call it. Um, it, you know, I think that's that's accurate of how we are. I just wish that they wouldn't lay it on so thick, but I feel mm-hmm. like they do that to kind of cater to the rest of the population, right? Because it's really, mm-hmm. we're a small population. Like, so if you just said, you know, population of, you know, Hawaii, who's watching it compared to the rest of the globe. So I feel like they tend to swing the slightly exaggerated version. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's what they think that that's what, let's say, tourists, when they come here, that's what they hear versus how we hear it. It's slightly different, of course. Yeah, it almost seems like um, they're utilizing that, not necessarily towards um, us as Pacific Islanders to show this representation, but more of like to immerse, say, people from the mainland into like our culture and stuff like that. It's almost like in some ways viewed as a commodity, you know, when people over um, try to overdo it with um, our culture do you find that it is almost like a commodity we're used transactionally Um, actually when you said culture that just uh sparked my mind um getting back to on Mm -hmm. specifically for finding ohana yeah i did like that i think they tried to culturally represent us like for example they talked about the night marchers Mm -hmm. that you know um hawaiian legend was woven into the the movie itself so i appreciate that they're definitely trying to keep the culture intact yeah for me it always comes down to the 
the pigeon. That's, yeah. it, that's always my, and you know me, right? Because I yeah. strive to speak very good and proper English <laughs> most of the time. Mm-hmm. So that's my only thing. Um, but I'm sorry, repeat your question again on the culture. Do you think that um, Pacific Islanders are sometimes used as a commodity for um, other people trying to be immersed in our culture? And this is only in film? Are you talking in real it life? It could be. No, it could <laughs> be in for film. sure real no, life. No, no. Uh, in film, in media, in anything, you know. Oh, for be. sure. Yes. I mean, that was the whole talk about um, uh, the tourism industry itself, right? You know, mm-hmm. we're always, you know, you have so many people out there promoting to the tourists, let's say like the hula shows, right. you know, the entertainment you know, we're out there promoting our culture to people who are new to Hawaii, who don't even, who don't necessarily respect our culture, right? They come here, they travel here, and they want to be immersed in the culture, yet they're not respectful of it. And that's always a bone mm-hmm. of contention to, you know, wine people here. So then I guess I would also like to ask, um, when a lot of, when filmmakers try to represent people from Hawaii from Pacific Islanders um do you think that um why do you think a lot of locals here have a lot of backlash towards it it's like um like you're saying with Finding Ohana some people can view that as problematic even Moana and other shows that try to feature um locals do you why do you think there's a lot of backlash sometimes. Sure. Okay, that's a great question. Um, and Moana, you mentioned that movie, so let's talk about that. That's a very great example of this. So when Moana came out, um, okay, I loved it. Many people <laughs> loved it. But a lot of the conversation, a negative conversation, was that, oh, how come it represented this particular Polynesian culture more than this other Polynesian culture more. Because Moana wasn't necessarily Hawaiian. Mm -hmm. Um, It was many Polynesian cultures it was trying to represent. And so, you know, I think it's like you can't please everybody all of the time. Mm -hmm. And that's a perfect example, right? Because you have many Polynesian cultures that felt they weren't necessarily equally represented mm-hmm. in the movie. So, of course, they um, mentioned that. Now, I want to take that, and I also want to say, because this is the same thing that uh, happened um, in the movie uh, called In the Heights, and that was on the Latin community. Mm. So they had the exact same backlash. And, of course, I watched that movie several times because, you know, I salsa dance. I love the salsa dance. I thought, again, I thought that was a great movie. Um, but still, you had all of those Latin communities or Hispanic communities saying, we weren't represented well, you know, ours, our culture is more like this. So it's the same thing. I mean, I know we're talking about Asian Pacific Islander, but right, I'm just right. saying no, that. In general. Yeah. Yes. With representing yes. marginalized groups. So that's why I think it's hard because really the producers of the film are trying to appeal to, um, you know, a large group of people that come from you know very different or not very different still similar like Polynesian similar Hispanic Mm -hmm. similar but we have our own nuances to our culture and we just 
we want to see ourselves mm-hmm. up there. I think right. that's just human nature. I want to be able to identify with the character there. If you're seeing your Polynesian or Hawaiian, I want to be able to identify with that. Um, and actually another, just talking about this, what leads me to is, and this is a show I enjoy as well on Disney plus, um, Dr. Oh my gosh. It's the Doogie Howser remake. Uh, Dr. Kealoha. Yes. Dr. Kealoha. Um, okay. The backlash there was on the actress herself is not even Hawaiian. Mm -hmm. And that's true. She's an actress. She's been in Disney itself. So like Disney Descendants, right? And so now she's here on this. But if you just look at her, she she could, she Mm -hmm. definitely looks like, you know, any other local girl here. And of course, that's because here we are a blend. We are, you know, Asian and Pacific Islander here as well. Um, But I want to say, I feel on that, that particular show, that I think they took the time to really um, research the cultural aspects. Tiny little things. So the actress herself, she wears a gold Hawaiian pendant. That's definitely mm-hmm. very common here. Very common here, exactly yeah. for like a lot of a lot of the girls have that. Even one of the other nurses, she's you know portrayed to be local, and she is, and she wears a Tahitian black pearl. Um, so it's the little things, even the set itself, you know, the mm-hmm. items that they include there. I feel like oh great, I I love that because I go oh yes, I I so see that like oh I had that maybe when I was growing up or maybe. You know, I had something like that in your room when you were growing up. So I appreciate that. I think they did, you know, pay attention to detail to be sure they captured the the culture um, of that. that Yeah, that's good. So then I guess like when people try to, um, when they want to represent other, not necessarily just Asian Pacific Islander groups, but of other cultures as well, I guess that's kind of something that directors and filmmakers need to pay attention more is to look at the little details would you like would you agree like they need to do more research in order to really um meaningfully represent the group the group that they're trying to represent yes definitely and i think like i said in that one dr carol mm-hmm. i think they you know did a really good job in all the little details that they did um i do want to say again it comes back to the the how thick the pigeon accent is. <laughs> I mean, I love her dad, Jason Scott Lee. Right. Uh, but in his accent is, yeah, you know, it's there. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, again, you know, I have to step back and say, there are people who speak with right. the pigeon accent that thick. So in a sense, that is representing, you know, a portion of Hawaiian people. Who speak like that. So yeah. that's why it's a gift to kind of balance it all out. So nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, this was really nice and thought provoking. Um, I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, thanks. Oh, I enjoyed it too. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, guys. Um, my name is Alzara Dulucri, and I'm doing an interview today with my best friend, Cheyenne Howard. Hi, I'm Cheyenne Howard. Um, today we're talking about uh, sexual education, um, how we first learned about it, and how we perceive it in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of chose this topic just because so many people have different experiences with um, the education that they learn around sexual education, and that like comes up in different ways in their life. 
um, also people see and perceive it differently in the media. So I feel like it's like a topic that can be talked about in depth with multiple different people. And it really interests me to this day. Um, so I have a few questions here to ask her. And I guess we can just start off with like how we both first learned about sexual education, um, what we learned in school, what we learned in the media when we were younger, like how we learned about sex and what we learned and also through like friends and family. Do you want to start? Okay. So the way that I learned in school was basically like doing graphs or whatever. I don't know if I actually learned about sex. I think it was more so I learned about body parts. Do you know what the um, like grade? What? Do you know around like what grade? Um, I want to say like eighth grade. Okay. So like eighth grade, around eighth grade, I learned more so just about body parts. I feel because like even it, it, it wasn't in, it was it wasn't even in like sex education. It was like a health class mm-hmm. that um we basically just put graphs together. We have to study the parts of everyone's bodies. Um, I think that was like the most the only thing that I really remember from actually like learning about sex but I wouldn't say it's really like learned about sex but I guess body parts of of the other gender so um and then I eventually learned sex when like I, I don't know I feel like I've always I don't know if I like always knew about it but like figuring out what happens when you do have sex that was more so around like high school maybe um it was more so just like bring a condom you if you don't sometimes you can get pregnant diseases hiv all that um i think when i finally learned more about like certain things that like obviously I think the whole time I knew there was obviously everyone had different body parts and different types, like some penises could be longer than the other, some uncircumcised, and then vaginas, they could be certain labias, different sizes, everything like that. So um, things like that, I most likely learned, I feel like I already knew, and then finally learning about other things at least deeply is like when i when you got into it and you started to meet things that you learned that obviously we both didn't even know Mm -hmm. yeah i think like so it's pretty weird because me and shine grew up in the same area and we went to the same school but what grade did you move to middleborough was it eighth grade yeah that was we did get a different sexual education from different schools. She ended up moving back to where um, we were living and uh, finishing out her schooling at the same school. But yeah, about the same, like, I don't really remember any sexual education in middle school. I remember taking a health class in high school and I didn't really learn much. And like, what I did learn is that like, abstinence is key. Like, protect yourself from STDs, like really the basic stuff and nothing in depth or humanizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, also like even like learning 
about like sex itself and like you said like especially with um consent that's the one thing i've i like never learned was consent Mm -hmm. yeah and obviously i knew it was a thing where you have to like it was it was major that you had to like have consent with a person but i feel like even learning in school you never heard about it yeah like i feel like it just became big after we graduated yeah like people have been really talking about it but they weren't talking about that in school at yeah all. in high school ever yeah and then not only that but like even with my family i feel like it was just so weird because it i when once i got my period it wasn't really much about sex talk it was just my period oh you're gonna be bleeding mm-hmm. every- no yeah so like my mom and parents didn't teach me anything about the uh, sex or sex education when i got my period um she kind of was just like, oh, you're a woman now and you have to deal with this for your whole life. And then that was basically the only information that I got. Um, So I didn't really receive any information from at home or at school. And so my next question is, do you think sexual education should be taught at home? Like, is it only for parents to teach or should it be taught at school or both? I feel like it should be both because the thing is, is there's certain situations in homes where, you know, there are predators and there are types of things where you're, you have to learn these things. Like sexual assault and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're learning these things and you're, you figure out like, okay, if this person, even if you're learning from your mother or your father, like about consent. And say that something's happening, you're learning from one other person, and this other person in your house is not giving consent. Not only that, but they're someone who's trying to... Mm-hmm. It's, it's key information for both. Uh, I just brought that up because a lot of people, like especially in the South, feel like, like it's not mandated in a lot of states today, and they feel like sex education should be taught by parents. It has nothing to do with schooling, and it has... It shouldn't be their job, um, but I totally agree with you. I feel like it should be taught at both. It's really key information. Um, but on to my next question. So, how do you think social media and like the porn industry plays into like learning about sexual education as a teen? Uh, does it have a positive or a negative effect? What do you think? I think it has a negative effect. Um, sometimes, I guess in certain situations it can be positive due to the fact that you could like just like me like I kind of learned like obviously I'm my body's not going to be the same as this person's in in these porn videos or whatever and the thing is is you have to see or teach the right person that obviously my body's or everyone in real life it's not going to be the same as it is in porn no one has the perfect body no one has you know these big boobs these freaking but it's not even just about the body too and porn they don't show consent they don't show all the messy things they don't show the realistic aspects of being intimate with somebody too yeah Um, that's true and not only that but like it it definitely it just i feel like a lot of people now do see obviously that porn is not like as good of a resource mm-hmm. for sex as yeah. like for education. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but it definitely, I think it definitely does have a negative effect on teenagers, especially because um, when I was growing up in, in, in high school, like, obviously I was a bigger girl or whatever, but it seems like being um, the bigger girl, guys always had this, this facade of a person who had the perfect everything and could, um, what is it? You just like have sex with this person all the time. And this is like, it just kind of just like, it, it definitely isn't. It takes back our pleasure too. Sex is more emotional. It's like a connection. It's nothing. It's not like, okay, I'm just going to hit it. And you know, no, it's especially with women, like, or even guys itself, like it's better to have a better connection for these things, but mm-hmm. it's kind of it's a definitely for teenage boys. They have in their head this certain image, and it gets stuck to them because that's how they grew up. Yep. No, I totally agree. Um, I think the porn industry can really cause a negative effect, and I think we're seeing those negative effects today. And I think a lot of people, a lot of men our age, are aware that mm-hmm. it is negative. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just think it's really damaging, but I, I do feel that there is, um, positive learning weight, like learning aspects about sexual education in the media, like looking at social media or TikTok. Like if you follow the right accounts, there could be really key information that you've never learned about, like from doctors or like there's so many people on yeah. these different platforms that you can actually like get facts about. Um, and so, but the issue is like, how are we introduced to those people? Like, how do we seek those things out as young teens? Because people don't know right from wrong during those ages, you know? And so is it really positive? Like, do they really reach those? Does these key information reach these kids in time for them to, you know, um, feel good about themselves and not like think in negative ways based off of what they learned. Um, I don't know. I don't know. So I don't really know if there really is like a straight positive effect between the media and the porn industry. I think it's more negative than positive for sure. Yeah, definitely. Especially like, um, at least for this generation, only because the fact that, we have grown up with all of that different the, just porn itself and not having no, like to, the endless of videos you know like yeah. the technology yeah yeah <laughs> we don't we especially like with our generation me and you like we we didn't grow up with tiktok where we had people teaching us yeah no. as like especially as kids because you see you see so many little kids even like growing up with tiktok now yeah and tiktok has an educational thing now yeah and i mean as as soon as you like pick the right doctors or whatever but yeah like we didn't have that so our generation is such a big generation that didn't learn about these things that it's still stuck in our heads with us a, a, a certain thinking of sex and how mm-hmm. it should be and everything like that yeah and so the, we're almost out of time. So I just, um, I have one more question. Um, so looking back, cause I know you watched sex education, right? Mm-hmm. Did you watch sex education? Yeah. 
uh, the Netflix series. And I'm just curious about like your thoughts on that show and how sex ed is treated in the show, uh, how it makes you feel. And like, if you didn't like it, how would you do it differently? I honestly loved, I love how it is, especially because the fact that it's very, so just the way that they're showing, like it, it, they have kids in there that are willing to go and give education because they know that this, the school board isn't showing that. Mm-hmm. So having these ways of Otis, the guy, the main, one of the main characters mm-hmm. is taking the information from his mom, who's like literally a specialist on these things and teaching, going in school, school thinking of like can you think about like you're going you're you have a student going in school teaching these kids these instead of the school actually being able to teach these things because they're uncomfortable mm-hmm. like sex should not be uncomfortable it shouldn't be an uncomfortable like topic it should be something where people are open about it because of the fact that you want to be comfortable talking about these things whether it was sexual assault or other things like that like it, it especially with their body image some people have insecurities and you shouldn't be that way so it's like you're learning about these things not even that but school is going and showing these graphs of the perfect vagina or whatever it's like a regular vagina mm-hmm. yet it, it there's people who have a whole different like look and that's body. not even like the norm either you no. know so it's crazy it's insane so it's and like, like yeah and like um so yeah there's so many key information like key scenes and like important parts in that show that so like many different scenarios that are like so, so much yes. yeah so realistic um some few a few scenes that are coming to mind is when one of the characters vagina gets leaked and goes around the school and everybody's making fun of her because she doesn't have this perfect vagina Mm -hmm. and um Maeve is like saying that it doesn't matter when it doesn't you know and people shouldn't make fun of you for things like that because it is very rare that people have this perfect vagina okay and like people can't change their bodies and it's just wrong and then another part that comes to mind is when a character gets sexually assaulted on the bus just standing there and somebody jerks off on her leg. Yeah. Um, and then the whole time she's like, oh, it was just like guys being guys, like no. just making it into a joke. And then Maeve is like, like, that's not, that's sexual assault. And yeah. it's okay for feeling this trauma. It's okay for you going through all of these different levels of, um like coping like ignoring it and then realizing it and then being sad about it and it's that's all okay and so like it's just very realistic yeah especially like just something it's not even little it could be something as like as familiar as that where where you could be anywhere and someone could go and rather freaking smack your butt and then leave and run because the fact that they know it's wrong mm-hmm. or like i mean that's happened to me before but the thing is is like you don't you when it happens to you you don't really think about it like you're just like okay like this just happened to me i don't know how i should feel about it but the thing is is like if you're feeling uncomfortable about it especially if it's like going through your thoughts a lot more than you think that it should 
mm-hmm. it's definitely something traumatic that like listen to your feelings about to someone or it, it shouldn't you shouldn't just keep inside thinking that oh boys will be boys mm-hmm. no one the, the one thing is is that's exactly what school needs to teach is boys don't need to be boys of whatever this thing is it's boys don't shouldn't be doing these things girls shouldn't either and like i'm not going to exclude girls either because there have been situations where i know oh, yeah. girls done these things but it definitely isn't something like but it's it's a big thing that school should definitely teach and it's not no it's, yeah it, it, a lot of people that get sexually assaulted yeah a lot of people that get sexually assaulted like don't even know that they've been sexually assaulted until they grew up you know mm-hmm. um but okay, we're a little bit over time, but that's okay. Um, I hope you enjoyed our little interview about sex education and how we perceive it in the media and on TV shows. Um, yeah, thank you. Do you want to Aloha my kako. My name is Novu and I am a student at Women's Studies 375, Women in the Media at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Uh, I'm here today with a friend and colleague, Mariah Garrison, who is actually a recent graduate from UH. Yeah, so I I did just recently graduate my undergraduate studies, um, and I actually uh, was a double major, and one of my majors was women, gender, and sexuality studies, so I'm really excited to be here and talking with you today. That's great. Thank you for being here today and listening to what I have to say. So Mariah here is a student that actually recommended me to take this course to diversify my portfolio as a uh, as a business major and to see the representation of gender and sexuality in the media and um, i wanted to bring you here today to have a discussion about a couple of things that we've discussed in my class yeah awesome what are you thinking about discussing today well there are a few things i want to talk about but today let's let's try and have a conversation about the music industry, especially Mm -hmm. this more recent emergence of um, quote-unquote reclaiming female sexuality. That's a good topic. So I think um, my respect for the music industry has always been apparent, and I've always been really proud of women who are able to come forward and open up with and express their sexuality and men who are able to do the same that's really amazing to me and especially recently I feel like there's been such a like surge in this powerful female dynamic that's been emerging or at least more so been represented lately in the media yeah no I I totally agree there are there is a lot of uh female sexuality that is represented uh, represented in hip hop nowadays. Um, I want to s- kind of hone in on something, um, a topic that has been a topic of con- controversy in the past couple of years. Um, what do you? What are your thoughts on Beyonce? Mm-hmm. I've never been a diehard fan of Beyonce. I've definitely same like followed her I guess in the media and like followed her journey I think that she always takes the most beautiful photos and Mm -hmm. it's not like if if her music came on I wouldn't know the words but I would definitely listen to it um but yeah I know that she's like pretty much an icon to a lot of people like people always talk about goddess Beyonce and um the energy that she has in all of her music 
No, yeah, I I agree with what you say when you say that she's an icon. Uh, she is an icon for um, black women uh, all around the world, and also an icon for diversity. She, uh, I I could um I could commend her, and I mean uh, I will commend her in saying that she has built an empire from her music and her her art. But I want to talk more about how in the music video Lemonade. I feel as though she commodified the female body and showed it as almost where black female bodies are commodified and where there's links to slavery. What do you think Ooh, about that? That's actually a really interesting perspective that I haven't thought about before. So I actually I remember very clearly watching Lemonade when it came out because it was on like the like certain platform or something and I right. remember one of my friends had it so we could watch it and it was really long so I obviously didn't watch the whole thing but I remember like the scene of her running through the streets and she was like destroying the cars and I think that was actually the song that she talked about um Jay-Z cheating on her which was super interesting to me because i'm sitting here thinking like from the early early 2000s who was it kelly clarkson who did um before he cheats where she was like banging up the cars about um her partner who had cheated on her and uh she was like destroying his car and i know that that was like a really big song in Mm -hmm. the earlier 2000s so it kind of reminded me of that but there was so much more like i guess like I don't even know what I'm I'm trying to think of here but the way that Beyonce did it in that scene specifically was so much more like rage but she was also like a lot more glammed out and she was definitely very much dressed up for that scene which I thought was really interesting to me yeah no I I do know of the music video that the part in the music video that you're talking about um to me I feel like she is she kind of romanticized violence in the sense mm. of and she played onto the stereotype of the angry black woman but she tried to in a way um i don't want to say like beautify it but like i guess in a way saying beautifying the the act of aggression the act of anger and i do see the art and the um the message that's behind uh, what she was mm-hmm. doing but i don't think that was the right message that should be conveyed to her demographic yeah it's so hard too because with especially the hip-hop industry i mean the same industry that her husband is a part of like there is a really good documentary out there that discusses how hip-hop originated and how it was a movement and a way to kind of fight the power and Mm -hmm it originated in the Bronx of New York, right? And so there was a huge African-American community that started and originated hip-hop, but over time, somehow, white men became the CEOs of these companies and kind of, like, go out there and pick and choose what black artists they want to hire. And it's become, like, again, this kind of concept of slavery and, like, harnessing this primal beast of the black man and, like, Mm -hmm. in a way, like a lot of black men see hip-hop or sports as kind of their only way of like getting out of poverty right but in a way they're like still contributing to this more present and modern system of 
slavery if you want to refer to it that way no um, i totally see what you're like i only i totally understand what you're saying and moving a little bit um away from that is talking about slavery um if you guys were to try and think of this outside the box if you guys know what the combine is for the nfl it's basically a, a slave trader market where you see the men who can jump the highest who can who's the strongest who can run the fastest is that not to me a, a slave trading block where these black men and a lot of polynesian men are forced to try and go for a dream that only they can think about in because of of the society that they were brought up uh, like brought upon it pretty much is saying the only way that you're gonna be able to make it in the world is if you're fast if you're strong and if you can jump the highest yeah it's all physical and it's so hard to think about like the privilege that we have in not feeling like we have to choose sports or music in order to make it right and to get out i mean i know that you have you know some really difficult experiences in your past but i i feel like i've never heard you talk about wanting to go into sports or music and it's hard to sit back and imagine that as a a bit of new perspective that that's a little bit of privilege on us and it's so hard too though because i mean the music industry especially hip-hop you know that jay-z and beyonce are part of there's so much homoeroticism like these especially like black male rappers are bringing in naked black male bodies and they're ripped beyond measure and they're you know women are on leashes and chains and they're showing like i'm the dominatrix here but in reality it's like a bunch of men in in kind of like yeah in a room having sex with women all together like there's so much homoerotic energy there as well and like especially like a homosexual audience that's going to be absorbing that and consuming that and like people can't forget about that aspect as well and right right no i i I totally agree there is a lot of homoeroticism in the hip-hop industry that people don't want to talk about and it's in in a lot of places being being gay is so taboo in the hip-hop industry is because it's almost like they don't want to talk about what is being perpetuated through the hip-hop Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's such a negative stigma here. And, you know, I think um, we have this surge, like I mentioned in the very beginning, about these strong black women who are able to kind of reclaim their body. But I know that that's caused so much controversy because on one hand like for them they're doing something that makes them feel confident and proud but on the other hand they're quite literally just taking the role that was given to them and expressing like this naked body for a consumer and isn't that also similar to slavery like we're still like stuck in this cycle where we are commodifying black women's bodies and black men's bodies as well like one is like this strong primitive beast and one is like you know another primitive sexualized abused woman who's highly aggressive like in beyonce's videos and it's so difficult to see 
that we're not actually making those active decisions to not do that and to express music as a form of art in other ways that don't have to fall into stereotyping black women. I agree. Thank you so much for being here with me today and discussing a little bit about the diverse things that I've been learning in this class. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I hope that I was able to respond to some of your questions well, and I'm really excited to see the growth of the industry in the near future. Thank you so much.